Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey everyone, it's Jen. And this is Lindsay. And this is Corpus Delicti, the podcast. Welcome back to episode two of William Bonin. So if you have not yet, obviously Jen said this is part two. If you have not heard part one, you are going to want to stop and go back a few things before we jump in to part two. This one does come with a trigger warning. It's bad. It's ugly. It's violent. It's got a lot of nastiness in it. Also, reminder that this is our last episode before our long break. We're taking the month of December off like we always do, and then we're playing it by ear after that. We've got surgeries, we've got tests, and all sorts of things coming up that we just really need to get out of the way. So Patreon billing is paused for that time, so you will not get charged for it, and... um. But all of your benefits and everything will still remain there. So it's just the the charge is what's getting paused. So sadly, this is our last episode of this year and for a little bit, but we will let y'all know when we have a return date. So with all of that said, let's go ahead and jump into part two. Quick reminder, when we left off, we had just talked about what was William Bonin's first murder and had basically discarded him on the side of the road. He had been choked, stabbed, raped, you name it, it was complete overkill. And so we're going to pick up there. Starting in 1972 and throughout most of 1980, young men and boys, almost always teenagers, were being found mutilated and thrown along the freeways. There's going to be a total of 44 of them but with a large number of those being from May 1979 and onward, almost half of them. Now, these were known as the freeway killings, and the person responsible, the freeway killer. William would hop in his green van, often on Fridays and Saturdays, and he's looking for hitchhikers or young boys waiting to take a bus. He'd offer them a ride and torture, rape, and murder them. According to one accomplice, who we will get to in just a minute, William would use an ice pick and a coat hanger to hurt the victims before strangling them with their own t-shirts. He recalled that William seemed to be getting joy from their screaming. So according to court documents, quote, in general, Bonin would pick up boys between the ages of 12 and 19 years. After engaging in various forms of homosexual activity with the boys, Bonin would murder them. The victims were usually killed by strangulation. The bodies of the victims exhibited signs that they had been beaten around the face and elsewhere, including the genital area. Marks were found on the wrists and ankles of the victims, indicating that they had been tied. 
several of the bodies exhibited other more gruesome injuries. When Bonham was through with the boys, he would then dump their nude bodies along Southern California freeways, end quote. Now, later, Bonham himself, looking back on this, said, quote, I would stab just to stab. I stacked them in different places with the knife. I didn't know where the vital organs were. So this was certainly not him attempting to scare or just hurt them a little bit. He didn't know where to stab to kill, so he just stabbed everywhere. I mean, his intent very much was to end their lives. And he also recalled, I'd kill with pain inflicted, yes, by squeezing of the neck until he was dead. So a moment ago, we had mentioned that there were sometimes some accomplices. So let's talk about that for just a second. Because we said in the last episode, we know that Bonin is not running with the best crowd. Now, he had three cohorts that he relied on often. And this was James Monroe, who was 19 years old, and he met Bonin at work. Then there was Gregory Miley, who was also 19. He is also allegedly mentally impaired. And then William Ray Pugh, who was 18. But also remember, we also talked about his lover, Butts, that we got into in the last episode. Now, some say that these accomplices or helpers must have been scared that they were going to be the next victim. That's the only way that they could rationalize somebody being in on this. But others say, no, these people were just as messed up as Bonham was. Now, remember, we've talked about Butts a little bit and how he wasn't making good, good friends. He was spending a lot of time at parties, on drugs. He had the girlfriend who had a child endangerment charge. His friends all had pedophilic tendencies as well. And so he's just got all these terrible people around him. But a lot of times what would happen is Bonin would issue the order. The accomplice would drive his van while Bonin has this person, this boy in the back of the van, and he would rape, torture, and murder them in the back while his friend is driving around. And he had removed the inner door handles to his van, which is actually, interestingly, the second time we've heard this in this series. I can't remember if it was the last case or the one before, but that's come up twice now here recently. So what brought on the end, actually, for this murderous rampage, this kidnapping spree? Well, for one, a simple look into ex-convicts in the area would certainly put William Bonin on the radar. And William has absolutely no shame. In fact, he's really kind of proud of what he's doing. Remember his friend, Frazier? Well, the police were questioning people in the area that knew William. Now, William, he did tell Frazier that he had killed a young kid, but it was self-defense. And at the time, he had no reason to doubt his friends. So this is what he tells the police. Well, the police start pulling out maps. And this is where the person was found and this one and so on. And Frazier just couldn't deny it. It's all around William's favorite places. So he's talking to the cops. They're pulling up these maps and going, hey, do you know this area? Hey, what about this area? And this guy's like, oh, my gosh, that's where my friend goes to all the time. Now, he recalled that something he took a very different way probably had a different meaning than what he thought. After his last run-in with the law, he had told Fraser, no one's going to testify again. This is never going to happen to me again. Now, we heard that in the last episode. Next time, he's not going to have any witnesses. He told the mental health institution that. He told, you know, people in jail with him that. 
his friend Fraser also recalled that William bragged about being the freeway killer and would look at newspapers and say, this is number seven or ten, whatever. So he's like bragging about the numbers. But he thinks his friend is just, to be honest, talking crap because he's kind of arrogant and he likes to talk. So his friend didn't know whether it was truth or fiction. So also keep in mind, they're at parties half the time. They're drinking. They're doing drugs. He's just talking big, whatever. Oh, this is number seven. This is number 10. But now looking back faced with the maps, he's like, oh, my God, maybe he was being serious. He didn't kill that kid in self-defense. And it he really had number seven, number 10. Well, meanwhile, that May, police arrested a car thief named William Pugh. He's in trouble now. So he throws out a Hail Mary that he has under his belt. He doesn't want to go to jail. So he's going to give the cops anything he can think of to get him out of jail and not be charged with all these things. Well, he had information on the freeway killer. He accepted a ride home from a man who bragged about the killings. Now, interestingly, this would not work out in his favor because they're going to now investigate. This is a high-profile case. This is taking the lives of a lot of young men. The police want to find the killer. So also, meanwhile, William Pugh says, I have information about the killings. I accepted a ride home. But news breaks to the public that someone came forward saying that they have information about the freeway killer. And this person who came forward was an unnamed 17-year-old inmate whose identity was being kept hidden. And this inmate says that he was at one of the parties that Bonin was at, and he found a ride home with Bonin. And almost immediately during the ride home, Bonin asked him to engage in sexual acts. He said no. Then Bonin tried to talk him into helping kill someone. Well, the kid is scared now, tries to get out of the van, but Bonin grabs his collar and prevents him from getting out. Bonin tells the kid, I'm not going to hurt you because people saw us leave the party together. Then Bonin proceeds to tell the kid how he liked to find young hitchhikers and use their t-shirts to strangle them. He also told the kid that he did this on Fridays and Saturdays so he could take his girlfriend roller skating on Sundays. So he's got big plans. And when Bonin asked where to drop the kid off, the kid gave a fake address so he wouldn't know where he lived. So the public is like, oh, wow, what a hero this brave person, this unnamed person has come forward giving all this information. Well, I don't know if to y'all that story sounds a little bit familiar, but it might. Well, that is because this secret person that came forward to the news was William Pugh. And they let it out that someone had come forward not realizing that there was a conflict of interest here and that he had already gone to police with one kind of version of the story. And then now he's also appealing to the public, basically, in an unnamed capacity. And he's really trying to get his story out there in hopes that it will build up his own credibility before the walls come crashing down, which we will quickly learn. So additionally, David McVicker, remember, he was one of the victims, he keeps seeing all these news reports popping up. And he's like, oh my gosh, all these stories sound so similar to what I experienced. And in the pit of his stomach, he just knew. He was like, I managed to get away, but people now are not getting away. This guy is coming forward on the news saying that exactly 
what happened to me. I mean, that was what what Pew was telling the news was basically David McVicker's exact story. So how did William Pugh know that? So David McVicker just feels really horrible about this, right? He's like, oh my gosh, something's wrong. Like, I, I'm this is, has got to be the same guy. So one day he calls the police station and he said, hey, you need to look into William Bonin. That's the guy who was responsible for what was done to me. Now, as far as I know, he's still locked up, but you just need to check. Just dot your I's, cross your T's. Well, as it turns out, it's a good thing he called because William Bonin was not still in prison for what he did to David McVicker. He had been let out. David had not been notified. Now, this was before the law was created where you had to inform the victims that they were being let out, and he had no idea. So he's sitting here thinking, okay, it's probably not the same guy. He's in prison, but it's a good thing he still called because he was out the whole time. So now the police are really honing in on him. They put him back under surveillance for nine days. It was when he lured a 15-year-old boy into the back of the van and sexually assaulted him that they were able to come in and arrest him. So here we have another survivor, and thank goodness, too. And for the record, this kid they caught him with was his sixth attempt that night. So he would have kept trying until he succeeded. They watched him try to lure five before he was successful. Now, not sure why they didn't stop him on number three or number four, but I'm sure that they were trying to get it to where he could, they could 100% nail him on these charges. So I think he has to go down with knowing, you know, what was his intent? What was the meaning behind him luring Ken's in? Because they waited until they heard the kid scream in the van. Now, as a mom, I would be highly pissed. Yeah. Highly pissed. And I would probably sue. But different time, different generation. But they did bust in and he was literally choking the little boy. So they catch him in the act. So now they not only they have the live boy as a witness, they have the police observing the crime. They had surveillance. They have all of these other Things that are happening where people are like, no, it's him. Go look. So unfortunately, just mere hours before the surveillance had started, Bonin had committed another murder. Now, this would be his final murder. Inside the van, they found all of his weapons, ropes, cords, and also the Freeway Killer newspaper articles he had been collecting. They also noticed that the carpet inside the van looked very similar on first glance to the carpet fibers that have been found on several victims' bodies. So we're going to take a really quick break because that's a lot to take in. But just think about everyone he's told and bragged about and all of these accomplices. This was going to come to an end quickly. You know, I'm surprised it took as long as it did and how many victims because it sounds like he was just free willy with this information. And it doesn't sound like it was the world's biggest secret. Well, and I think part of that is, and we will talk a little bit more about the accomplices. I know we've only barely touched on that, but I think part of it is once they're involved, well, they're not going to talk because they're in on it too. And I think that was part of what he did on purpose was got other people in on it so that he could kind of brag about it to them, but also they're not going to He needed a driver. Yeah, he needed a driver. Yeah. Right? To make this work. Yeah. But we're so, going to talk more about that right when we come back. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, guys. Welcome back from the break. So when we left off, Bonin had been arrested. They found all the evidence in his car. They caught him literally in the act. So when Bonin is arrested, he does not hide anything. Now he really is flaunting it. And in fact, the police officers who were involved in the interrogation reported being absolutely disgusted by him. And some of them were like, honestly, we kind of wanted to kill him. I mean, they weren't going to, but they were like, this guy just absolutely got under our skin. One of them recalled, quote, this guy was impassioned about what he did. He loved it. Listening to his confession was like sitting in a room of horrors. Here we are talking about killing kids, killing one and throwing him out like a piece of trash and then going back to get another. It made me sick. So, Let's talk about butts for a minute. Remember Bonin's lover, friend, cohort, all of the above. So butts is able to link Bonin to 21 of the freeway killings. Because remember, they're asking anyone who knows Bonin at this point. They are asking all of his friends, coworkers, anyone who will listen. And now Bonin is caught, so butts is talking. Now, we know that Bonin is flaunting it. So since Bonin has admitted to it, butts is like, okay, yeah, I'll talk too. So it is now thought that maybe there were two similar series of killings happening at the same time. Because remember, we said at the top of this episode that there were 44, and it started in the early 70s and went until the 80s. But most of them were from 79 to 80. And we will talk a little bit more about that in a moment as well. So Butts is talking about what happened. And he says that Bonin basically... He was whipped, like Butts was whipped. Bonin would order him to obey like a little puppy dog or be killed himself, which was one of the theories that had been going out there is that they were scared. But he also admitted that he himself was there for six of them, even though he was not the actual killer. So he is saying, yes, I was driving the van. Yes, I pulled over. I helped get the guys in the car. I helped dispose. Now, I didn't commit the acts, but I was there. I was driving. However, Butts was awaiting trial for his role in this, and he hung himself in his jail cell and never had his day in court. So why did he do this? Well, it's said that he was upset about transcripts that were getting released with his confession, and there was one victim in particular that he was involved with who they drove an ice pick into his head and forced him to drink acid, and he was concerned that it was going to upset friends and family. Well, yeah, I would imagine so. And so that is why he took his life before he could have his day in court. However, his attorney and his girlfriend think that someone in prison hung him 
because they had both talked to him that day. He seemed perfectly fine. He wasn't, he didn't mention being upset about, about the transcripts being released. Now, William Pugh, who we talked about because he's the one who tried to be slick and say, oh, I have information about the freeway killer. I was picked up by him. Well, they get to looking into it and other people are like, no, he was in on it. So Pugh was charged with one murder, but Pugh now admits that there were two. Now, interestingly, he took a plea deal and got six years for voluntary manslaughter. Voluntary manslaughter, six years. But going back to Butts, the thing that really messed them up here is he had a lot of information. He was involved in six of the murders. Well, when he killed himself, it rendered his recorded testimony inadmissible. So they couldn't use it at that point. Gregory Miley, on the other hand, he was one of the accomplices. He pled guilty to one murder and was sentenced to 25 to life. So instead of the manslaughter charges right. that they're handing out to others, he gets 25 to life. They should have all gotten it. James Monroe pleaded guilty to one murder, despite admitting to two, and he was only sentenced to 15 years to life. Again, should have been more. Should have been more. But what about William Bonin? He had two trials, because the freeway was in two different jurisdiction. The first for 10 murders and the second for four. He admitted to 21. Two were, for a fact, dropped due to lack of evidence. They they couldn't find the body. They couldn't find the kids. Okay, so we know that the first trial is going to be super, super long. We've got a lot of victims. We've got a lot of testimony. We've got a lot of evidence. And it's estimated three months to include over 100 witnesses. All right. So in the first trial, this is from the court documents. It says, in order to prove that Bonin was the individual that committed the crimes, the prosecution presented testimonial, physical, and scientific evidence. Experts testified that the bodies of three of the victims bore triskelion-shaped fibers that matched the carpeting of William's van. They testified that the bodies of the three other victims revealed the presence of hair that matched Bonin's. One victim's body also bore a seminal fluid stain that could have been made by William Bonin. Moreover, the van was severely stained with human blood. In addition to this physical evidence and scientific evidence, the prosecution presented the testimony of two eyewitnesses plus others to whom Bonin had made certain confessions. Gregory Miley, one of Bonin's partners, testified that he had participated with Bonin in two of the murders. James Monroe, another one of Bonin's partners, testified that he had participated with William Bonin in one of the murders, after which Bonin told him that he was the freeway killer and that he had committed about 14 similar murders. The prosecution also called David Lopez, a television reporter. Now, Lopez testified that Bonin confessed in an interview to killing 10 of the 12 boys as several others. Two other acquaintances of William Bonin, Scott Fraser and Ray Pendleton, testified that William Bonin had admitted that he had picked up one of the victims and had killed him in the course of a homosexual encounter. Jailhouse informers testified regarding various confessions made by William Bonin while he was incarcerated. Finally, 
other witnesses testified that after he had been arrested in 1975 for a homosexual act, William Bottom said he would never again leave witnesses to his crimes alive. So this statement from court documents pretty much lays out everything. So he's these are the witnesses. This is what they said. This is what they saw. Also, he he confessed to a TV reporter. Yeah, and we will talk about that more in a minute. So one thing that I want to point out here that I just want you guys to remember is this last statement. It says, other witnesses testified that after he had been arrested in 1975 for a homosexual attack, Bonin said he would never again leave witnesses to his crimes alive. Now, we know that. We've talked about that. But that was 1975, okay? Keep that in your head because we're going to come back to that as well. So that lays out the evidence and the main arguments in court. And basically, what they're thinking here, what some of the experts on the stand psychologically are saying is that these attacks were so brutal. We know one was stabbed with an ice pick, one was stabbed over 70 times, was because Bonham was trying to, quote unquote, kill the homosexuality out of them. And Davis Kushner, an investigator, said, quote, this is the type of injury that is inflicted in a frenzy. I can only liken it to a rabid dog that has gone mad and does not know when to stop biting. The investigator said it was a pattern that he had seen before when both the victim and the killer were homosexuals and the killer tried to, quote, inflict a lot of pain and rid himself of a lot of hate. So that is one reason why they are alleging that it was so brutal. So David McVicker, let's go back to him. He's one of our survivors. He did testify. Now, Roger, Roger Sproston, the survivor that we started with, he did not testify, but David McVicker did. And the final witness that appeared on the stand was the reporter that Jen was just asking about who interviewed Bonin in jail. And basically what happened is he interviewed Bonin in prison. The reporter, David Lopez, conveyed how Bonin said, quote, I couldn't stop killing. It got easier with each one we did. And he also told the reporter that on one occasion, he took investigators out to find one of the bodies that had not been found. And the reporter says, well, why'd you do that? And Bonin says, I was dying for a hamburger and I knew if I went out with the cops, they would buy me a hamburger. He also told the reporter that if he were out there today, he would still be killing. So why did he tell the reporter this? Okay, so at this point, He's been caught. He's in prison. So Lopez, the reporter, did not have to turn over this information because under California's shield law, he had protection as a news source and did not have to testify. So since this information had not been publicly put out there yet, he did not have to do anything with it. He was under no obligation, but he had a really heavy conscience and he was like, he confessed to me. I really feel like someone needs to know this. And it actually really did help seal the case. And essentially what Lopez had done is he found a loophole in this that allowed him to do it because his agreement with Bonin that put him under this shield law was that Bonin would not talk to another reporter if Lopez would not broadcast the information until he was supposed to right? That was the deal. You don't talk to anybody else. I have the information and I hold on to it until whenever that time might be. But since then, Bonin had actually talked to other reporters and told them other certain similar things. 
And so Lopez was like, well, that's the loophole I need because he broke it first technically, so I don't have to worry about my conscience here. Now, the defense, they they had to figure out their best case, right? It's not a fun case. It's not one that they would handpick, but they had to defend them, defend him to the best of their ability. So what they're going to do is they used the Vietnam War and they said that ruined him and that is responsible for all of his behaviors. If we think back to his childhood and what we talked about, everything he went through and how he just went from one home of abuse to another home where he had a pedophilic male role model there. So, I mean, it it was a, a crap show to begin with. Now, he was acquitted on two of the murder charges, one sodomy and one mayhem. But they did find him guilty on every single thing else. He is sentenced to death for each of those murder convictions. A jury of seven men and five women decided unanimously on the first vote, on the very first vote. Nobody likes to take another man's life but we did what had to be done. He's a very sick man. So this jury was not buying the fact that he's trying to blame everything else but himself. And they're like, there's too many victims and their kids. So they came back very quickly with their verdict. And in fact, in closing arguments, his own attorneys didn't encourage the jury to find him not guilty but to come to the best conclusion possible. AKA, what they're, they're trying to do is they, they know the evidence is stacked. They know this client should have taken a plea, but he's not going to. And they just really wanted to get him life in prison without parole and not the death penalty because they knew their case was hopeless. So another interesting fact, there were so many charges. Because keep in mind, there are Robbery charges, sodomy charges, mayhem charges, kidnapping, murder. I mean, there was a whole sheet here. It took 57 minutes to read the verdicts back. As they are being read back, Bonin is perfectly calm, perfectly straight-faced. The only time he moved is he leaned over at one point to whisper something to his attorney, and that was it. He was placed in San Quentin Prison, which we know houses some of the worst of the worst. But that's only trial number one. So at the next trial, he was convicted of all four of the murder counts and robbery there as well. And he received an additional four death sentences. So dude has 14 death sentences. So even if he can get out of one, you still got 13 more that you have to convince the state, the governor. You're not getting out of this dude. No, no. And he did not. William Bonin was executed by lethal injection on February 23rd of 1996. He was the first person to be executed in California using this method. His final meal was pepperoni and sausage pizza, Coca-Cola, and chocolate ice cream. No relatives, no friends, no one attended, and no one claimed his body. He was cremated and tossed into the Pacific, which was done with a lot more dignity than any of his victims were. But Gregory Miley has since died. He actually died as the result of a suspected homicide in prison. He was attacked by another inmate in 2016, and uh, and everyone else is still in prison or has been released. So very shortly after Bonin was executed, about three weeks later, they found out that his mother had actually still been drawing his Social Security disability payments, 
And they should have ended when he went to prison, but she never reported it. And she had gotten about $79,424, and she had to pay it all back. So basically what happened is when he was executed, the funeral director reached out to the Social Security Administration to file his death. And they're like, wait a minute, this guy was in prison? Where has all of his money been going? Nobody should have been getting this. What happened to our original survivor, Roger, and what did he have to say when Bonin was executed? He said, at the time, I was just very, very relieved that I got out of it, he says. But for many years, I'd wake up having nightmares. I don't have nightmares about him now, but he's still there. It's something very significant in my life. So just because you survive, it doesn't mean it ends. You have to live with it forever and you have to heal from it. And he goes on to say, by rights, I should have died there. If a cat has nine lives, I worked out that I've used up six of them. And that was the most significant one. I should be dead. He could have easily have blown my head off. I'm very lucky. So you can tell that he still, you know, this is still something that he's going through. It's something that he will probably go through for the rest of his life. Now, Roger wrote a book called Fighting for Light, The Travels of the Ten Pot Warrior, where he talks about all of the wild things he experienced. So remember, he was the adventurer. I mean, he was the backpacker who got covered in leeches. And he had all these extraordinary things that, you know, when we're reading them off, we're like, I would just go home. But it had been happening over the course of years. Now, McVicker said at the execution, this is going to end it. End it. Throw me forward. I'm so ready for this. This is the beginning of my life. So he's obviously having to hold on and relive this, especially through the trial. McVicker also still speaks with the media about it for one reason, and only for one reason. He has trauma. But he does it anyways, because one of the moms begged him at the trial to speak for her son and not let him be forgotten. So he is speaking on behalf of another victim. Now the question remains, what about the 44 murders since 1972? This came on the heels of the trashback killer who we covered super, super long time ago. Maybe during the serial killer series, it's been a minute. So trash bag killer, same area, got caught around the time that this started, but that means that it wasn't the trash bag killer. So let's talk about Bonin and whether this really was two separate instances. And we don't know, but there are some interesting talking points here. So Bonin, they linked him to his first murder in 1979. But David McVicker was in 1975, and David was being strangled with his own shirt before being let go. And we know that that is the manner of death, the way that they died, was strangulation. Now, other stuff happened to them. They had also been stabbed and all this, but ultimately, the ending move was he strangled them. And we do know that he was prowling long before then. He had picked up people long before then. So is it possible? David McVicker thinks that it genuinely started after him. Others do not. McVicker thinks that he was the trigger for it because he was the one that caused Bonin to say, I'm not going to leave any more witnesses, etc. So what the heck happened with all these other murders 
And you know what? Uh, what else I find interesting is they say that a large number of them, almost half, which is the twenty-one that Bonin admitted to, even though he was only convicted of fourteen or stood trial for fourteen, rather. They say that there's 44 total, 21 in that last year-ish. Well, serial killers a lot of times show signs of escalation. So do we really think that Bonin started killing in, let's say, 79 and just was committing them week after week after week that fast? Or did it slowly build up? Did it start earlier and built up to an escalation that you see sometimes with serial killers? But if that's the case, why would he say... I'm not going to leave any more witnesses. Now, the talking point on that one is some people say, well, just because he said I'm not going to leave any witnesses next time doesn't mean that he hadn't killed anyone before. It just means that he left a witness this one time. They got away. He just happened to get away. He didn't mean for him to get away. So maybe people were misunderstanding his statement to mean I'm not leaving any more witnesses because I haven't killed before. But just this one got away. Why wouldn't he just admit to it at that point? Because he's pretty free-flowing when he gets caught. And he's like, yeah, I did this and this and this and this. And his cohorts are able to back him up. So why wouldn't he admit to the ones before? I don't know. Or, I mean, to be honest, there were just so many. You know, would he admit to the ones where there were years and years and years ago where the newer ones were just fresh on his memory? And Maybe. the ones that he had accomplices with. And what kills me is that this was a known secret. Yeah. A lot of people knew this was going on. And a lot of people had this under wraps where, you know, there were a lot of rumors going around. You know, there's probably a lot of jokes and there's probably a lot of bad humor. And there's probably a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of late nights where, you know, you start getting these insider running jokes. And at first, everyone thinks they're funny and but they keep on and on and they're like, oh, we can actually really do that. And they all had the same kind of mindset. But I think William Bonham was the catalyst because well, he had done it before just without them. Well, and, and he did commit several murders without them. You're right. They were only involved in, you know, so many. But another thing about the accomplices, and this is obviously not an excuse by any means, but all of them except for Butts were younger, 17 or 18 years old. I think one of them was 19. So they were still relatively young and impressionable. Now they're they're legal adults, the 18 and the 19-year-old, and you you know better. But Butts, I think Butts knew what he was doing. Butts was an adult. He and Bonin had been friends for a long time. They ran with the same crowds. But I I can't help but wonder if the other accomplices were younger. And they were picked up, like Pew said at one point. He tried to use that as his story. Oh, I, I know it was the freeway killer because he picked me up. I wonder if maybe that did happen to him and maybe one or two of the other younger ones. And it was either I'm going to kill you or you're going to help me kill. And that's how they got roped into it. Again, not an excuse, but I wonder if that explains how they got ro roped in, being that they were a lot younger than Bonin and Butts. But you only hear that from one. Like, you would expect to hear, he made me do it at their trials. Right. And to be fair, we don't know as much about their trials because they were younger. The focus was Bonin. They pleaded out. A lot of them pleaded out. So we don't know. Maybe they did say that. And maybe that's why one got manslaughter and why one got 
you know, 15 years instead of 25. You know what I'm saying? Like we technically don't know because there's not quite as much detail about their legality since they didn't actually sit in the courtroom with a jury. So we are going to end this episode by listing the names of his known victims. Now, this is the 21 he admitted to, even though these are not the ones that he was ultimately judged for. And we're going to give their ages as well, just to show respect to them. Thomas Glenn Lundgren was 13. Mark Dwayne Shelton, 17. Marcus Alexander Grabs, 17. Donald Ray Hyden, 15. David Lewis Murillo, 17. Robert Christopher Wirestack, 18. Kern County John Doe, aged somewhere between 15 to 27. Frank Dennis Fox, 17. John Frederick Kilpatrick, 15. Michael Francis McDonald, 16. Charles Dempster Miranda, 15. James Michael McCabe, 12. Ronald Craig Gatlin, 18. Glenn Norman Barker, 14. Russell Dwayne Rue, 15. Henry Todd Turner, 15. Stephen John Wood, 16. Darren Lee Kendrick, 19. Lawrence Eugene Sharp, 17. Sean Page King, 14. And Stephen J. Wells, 18. Oh, that breaks my heart to hear all those ages. I know. And and that just going back to what we were saying, though, there are some 17, 18, 19 year olds, which is what made me originally have that thought about the accomplices. And no, I don't know that. It was just a thought that popped in my head. All right. That was a rough one. Yeah. And what a one to go out on. But don't worry, we will be back. In fact, we're actually recording live Patreon tomorrow. So this doesn't come out tomorrow. So y'all have missed it. But if you're a (laughs) Patreon member, you can go back to patreon.com slash and watch it, listen to it, and be entertained by the craziness that is sure to ensue. <laughs> it always does and always will. <laughs> but on that note, just a reminder, we do have break coming up. So we hope that everyone has an amazing, wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. You're not dying. No, 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 no. Everything's fine. Everything, Everything's fine, I think. <laughs> Loaded you question. Don't have a- I mean, let's just throw it. It, it, I mean, she's not getting a new nose, but she's also not oh. dying. So we're good. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, I wonder if I could talk him into that one. Hey, can you just, You know, yeah. can we get a two for one special? T- tuck a few things while you're in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as much as you've been exercising, I don't know if there's anything to tuck. Oh, there's plenty to tuck. <laughs> there's plenty to tuck. <laughs> well, don't forget patreon.com, Corvus Delicti. A dollar gets you free access to ad free when there's not inserted promos. And the dollars and up gets you on the Discord page, which we have a hoot on, which is so 1980s to say. But it is a lot of fun. We fun. we have different chat groups going on about different topics and stuff. So it's a lot of fun. Like my my ordeal with Scorpion this past weekend. Yeah, Jen had to basically fumigate her house because we're in Alabama and it's infested with scorpions, which is great. Well, when? Oh, oh, see, you told me there were scorpions. You told me plural. There might have been. I didn't know at the time. You weren't going to wait to find out. 
I, you know, I wasn't going to wait. There was one and it was like the size of my thumb and that little sucker had to go. And I didn't know if mommy and daddy were around. So we had to make sure mommy and daddy were taken care of and reunited with their bait. Sure. In the vacuum cleaner. Also, don't forget, if you want to hang out with us on Facebook, we have a chat group, but you got to answer the questions. We just don't let you in if you don't. And it's okay if I, I have no remorse. And we are all that is staying up and running, Discord, chat group, all that is, is staying up and running during the break. So it, it's all still there for you. But until then, you know what we said to Felicia, and we will see you next year. Bye. Bye.